So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all wanna create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we wanna do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. What's up, my friends on Facebook? Uh, happy Friday, wherever you are around the world. It's May 8th, and uh, as always, it's 1 o'clock here in the West, 4 in the East, and this is This Week in Housing with myself and my dear friends over at KCM, David Childers and the Oracle Steve Harney. So I'm just taking a look down to see we got a lot of people joining us here uh, we have a really powerful show planned for you. There's no doubt that there's a lot of things happening right now, starting with uh, the unemployment numbers that were just announced. But I gotta tell you, I, I just did a podcast. And uh, as I was filming that and then the Tom Ferry show for next week, I, I was really, really looking at sort of the, what's happening in the world today, the, this massive sort of contrast. And, and I know in case you're wondering, I'm not talking about politics in any way, shape or form. I'm talking about businesses that are succeeding and thriving and, and dare I say winning in this market and businesses that are really suffering in this market. Some of them because of their model, some of them because of the lack of their ability to pivot. Um, but a lot of it, as we know, is their model, right? The way that their business operates. But, but yet over here, you've got all these businesses that are doing well. And I always ask myself, like, what is the difference that makes the difference? And there's never one thing right? There's never one thing. There's always tens of things that ultimately impact it. But I know this. I know that our ability to think about our customer and ask ourselves, what are the problems that they're facing? And how can my service or my product or my business support them, help them through this, make a difference, be different? If I can do that, right, in some way, shape, or form today, I've got a better shot at winning now and forever. So when I'm, when I'm looking at this, I, I think about how many, well, so yesterday, Redfin and Zillow both had their earnings call and both of them, you know, said, hey, the first quarter was bananas and obviously March was challenging, but they both said a couple of things that were really interesting for me. First, Glenn from, uh, from Zillow said, or excuse me, from Redfin, he said, hey, look at this interesting data point. What if I told you that in our search, what we're seeing is, People that live in big cities are looking at smaller cities and that search is up 71%. Zillow then went on to say, right? Uh, Rich Barton, the CEO said, traffic is just off the charts everywhere. So if you look and, you know, I had a conversation this week with Mike Meadler, the CEO of, of C21, talking to the, the team at Remax, at EXP, everybody's seeing the same thing. Demand is through the roof demand is through the roof right now. Plus, when you look at interest rates where they stand today, there is no doubt that there is a massive wave of transactions that are going about to hit. The challenge, even again, showing time, look at showingtime.com. We showed you the slide last week. The numbers are skyrocketing across the country. When you just look at North America, we've now broken through where we started January. It literally went March 10th, like this and now here we are on may 8th and we're now right going absolutely the right direction i just surveyed guys a whole bunch of our coaching clients a couple thousand of them and i asked all these questions like where's your business at today how is may going and i gave them all these different categories i said uh for example my business is in momentum meaning i'm taking listen to making sales and i know that more is available that by far was the number one answer to people saying yes that's me are showings up or down, what's happening, myself or my team on fire, I'm getting back to work, sales are slower, but I'm focusing on inventory. The bottom line is, I'm watching our ecosystem in, in many ways say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, let's get after it, right? Now, some of them did that the second week or third week in March, some of them did it in the middle of April, but overall, right, we are experiencing this huge surge, but that doesn't solve the problem. We have a problem right now, my friends. You know it and I know it. What is the single biggest problem a buyer has today? Right? What's the single biggest problem you probably face today? That is the absolute lack of homes to sell. And there's only one person that can solve that, you. So during this show, we're gonna arm you with some 
unbelievable stats, right? David, David and his team are always putting together the, these world-class slides, that, which by the way, you can get, and you can put your brand and your logo and your image on it, making it even better, by the way, you know, become a KCM member, take advantage of that. But we're gonna give you all these data points, and then we're gonna answer 18 questions. And remember, you guys inundated us with questions over the last couple of weeks. And you know, we went through, we synthesized it down to about 18 questions that we felt were the most relevant that would empower you with the right information you need to move people forward because the problem we have is misinformed sellers. It's uninformed people that think today that there's no one that can sell their house, right? Whether that was the agent that withdrew, withdrew the listing or the seller that wants to sell, needs to sell, but just thinks to themselves, I can't sell in this environment. And the reason why is they haven't met you and you haven't educated them. So I'm gonna give you some insight on that today. Well, I'll actually, if you guys want, you guys tell me, I have three no-brainer listing attraction marketing strategies that the vast majority of people aren't doing that when you do them, you will generate more opportunity and more appointments than you probably will have time for in the month of May or June, but you gotta let me know if that's something that you want, right? So. I'll be watching and checking all that out. But before we get into all that, it's now 104, so we can officially begin. Uh, gentlemen, happy Friday, welcome to the show. I see Steve, could you get it on all three of us if you would please? Right now I just see Steve, there we go. So, uh, so first and foremost guys, happy Friday and happy uh, as we go into it, Mother's Day weekend. So I wanna go right at it. David, we got a lot of ground to cover. We right? do. You got a couple of new slides I think are super important, obviously. We got a lot of good news, but I think we should start perhaps with unemployment because it hit this morning and, well, let's be honest, it wasn't the most positive news. Sure, sure. So let's let's kind of hop in there. I'm gonna share some screen and, uh, or share some slides so we can just have that conversation and talk about what is going on. So you're right, Tom, the, uh, the April unemployment report came out this morning. Uh, and, and, and let's start here. Let's look at where we've been since we started this conversation back, you know, uh, in March. And so now what you can see here is seven weeks starting to, to stack up here. And, you know, if, you know, last week, or I mean, this week we came in at 3.2 million jobs lost. That's the week ending May 2nd, why I said last week. Um, and certainly that's a, that's a big number. I'm not saying it's not a big number, but it's certainly not 6.9 million uh, that we saw back uh, the 28th of March, the week ending there. And it's interesting to watch as we've gone on week through week, uh, you know, this stagger down. And, and I think we all hope that in the unemployment situation, that not only are these, uh, you know, not long-term unemployment situations, but that Hopefully we've been through the worst of it, but an interesting look there as we as we look back over the last several weeks. So, so let's talk about the the unemployment report that came out this morning. We talked last week. We said hey, we're going to bring this to you. The KCM uh, research team has been all over it today, and, and so let me bring that up. Uh, this is a look right now of the breakdown of the labor statistics um, that we were given this morning. It covers up until April twelfth. Uh, so there will be another, you know, cross-section of data that will come out the, the first week of next month. And if you remember, if we go back, we started looking at the first 700,000 uh, jobs that were lost, significantly more here. And, and, and let's go through here and let's talk about the jobs that, that are contained in that report that, that have been lost. So if you start from left to right, and we've synthesized these categories so they're simple and effective to understand. And, Tom, you mentioned putting your face and your brand on these. I did that with these slides here for mine. And, 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 and if you're a KCM member, if you're not, we'd love to have you, but share this information with your brand on it because that is the conversation this weekend. So let's start on the left. We know that almost 40%, 37.6% of the jobs lost are those uh, servers and bartenders, people in the restaurant business. And certainly as the economy starts to come back online and come back online safely, we expect those to get their jobs back. Uh, the next two pieces of job lost, both coming in around 10.2% are retail 
and temporary services. Now there's, you know, when we think about retail, we know what that is. Folks that are in the retail uh, business stores, things like that. Temporary services, there are a few other things that are, um, that are included in that, but the majority of that, uh, think about the temp industry, companies that provide uh, labor, temporary services uh, across this country. We look at the next uh, cross section of data there, that's kind of the lighter blue doctor's offices. We certainly know that we all need to get back to the dentist, to the pediatrician, to, uh, you know, to a doctor visit. Uh, arts and entertainment there, uh, 6% of the people that, uh, that, that have lost their jobs. And we're going to watch to say, okay, how quickly will they come back to work? Uh, manufacturing, and we're going to watch that one as well to see, okay, what's, what's that going to look like? Childcare, we know those folks are going to come back when they can safely do that and bring bring children back together so that folks can work so that folks can can do what uh, what they're used to doing and then we see this this cross section of of construction government and uh and you know accommodation industry we call it the hotel business again in that simple and effective uh type of way to 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 communicate this construction we believe those folks are coming back uh, not only you know can they do that in a lot of areas that have been deemed essential, but we know the way we started this year uh, from a you know certainly in our business with an enormous amount of, of momentum that that is going to come back. Uh, government jobs, uh, there's a, a cross section of folks uh, in that maybe mostly state and local governments, uh, folks that can't operate in this uh, in this environment. And then we certainly, we've talked about the accommodation industry or hotels, you know, the travel business. What, when, when is that going to come back? So this gives us an idea of who has lost their jobs uh, in, this, in, in this employment report. So it's, it's interesting to, uh, to look at that and, and kind of break it down. We, break, we broke it down just a little bit further in the report. Uh, and I want to show you this real quick. I to ask, and I, I knew this was the next slide, Steve. Should agents be sharing that slide? The previous slide? Uh, I think that very strong, I think that this slide they should share before they slide, share the other slide. I'll tell you why. We break it down so you understand it. Right. But I don't want you to get attacked because it says hotels instead of accommodations because they yeah. technically the report says accommodations. So I don't want that. The other thing that you have to be a little bit concerned about there were a whole bunch of economists that thought these numbers were going to be a lot uglier than they were. Now, I'm not saying they're not ugly. And I'm not saying that the next report, they might not even be as ugly or more ugly. But a lot of economists are calling for well over 15%, some over 20%. So what you're going to see in the news headlines right now is that the, uh, well, they're adding things in like, well, we should add in all the people that just retired. Or should we add in all the people that, you know, they weren't in their job for other reasons. The only thing I'll say to that is I get why you are adding it in. So did you look good on your original projection? But they never add that in. For the last 30 years, they haven't added that in. So why would we add it in this time? Uh, then you also have to remember there's a, a percentage of people in the country that have a political agenda. You know, they feel very strongly if the economy doesn't show well that they're going to get some sort of uh, advantage in the next presidential election. All right. So there's going to be people, you know, talking about Armageddon headlines based on that. So I think this could be a, 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 a slide that could be shared, but just be careful because you're going to get a lot of pushback on that slide. Yeah. So if you're going to get pushback on it, you have to decide what you're going to do there. Yeah, I would be, I'd be very mindful, my friends. I mean, I, you know, in, in sort of our discussion for this show, I think it's very important that you see the data. So you understand exactly. the way my, the way my mind works, is I'm going to look at the data and I'm going to ask myself, okay, who is my home buying customer? Who is the traditional seller that I get? Do they touch these categories? If so, how am I going to help navigate that? How am I going to make sure that I have empathy for that situation? But I'll tell you, when I look at that servers and bartenders number, I got to give a shout out to a broker owner that I work with, uh, DJ Della in Jacksonville, Florida, who came from the service industry. Jill Biggs, one of my top clients in Hoboken, New Jersey, was a bartender in Miami, right? The, these service industry people make up for some really good real estate professionals. DJ yeah. went out to the market and said, I understand, and if you're looking to go into real estate and you're coming out of the service industry, I'll pay for your licensing. 
And guess what, guys? It blew up and went viral. He's not in a huge market. It's probably a you know B minus market in the U.S. And yet it was very, very proactive. Like he's like, hey, I want to help. I want to make a difference. So if you're in that situation, so you know, think about it. Like I'm not saying spin any of this to the positive. I'm saying to you, think about who your buyer is, who your seller is, have empathy for that. But then really, David, the next slide is the key. Because if yeah. I only see this and focus on this, I think I'm never going to sell a house again. Yeah, right. Yeah, so let's hop to that real quick because it's, it's such a good point, Tom. And I think it's that, that, that idea of this graph on the left. That report came in and said 14.7% uh, unemployment. And, and, you know, it causes, like Steve said, these doomsday scenarios, media's hopping on this, a lot of agendas in there. What we can't, you know, let happen is think, okay, like the world's going to end and, and, and maybe put it in a little bit different perspective, meaning that that means 85%, 85.3% of the population still has a job. And we know, you know, this, this report's going to come out again next month, Steve, you referenced it. Uh, it's not going to be surprising if it, if it grows, you know, slightly there or grows uh, in that report. But we know that, that, that right now, as we stand, 85.3% based on this report still have a job. The other very important piece of this is the graph on the right. When, when they do this survey, they interview individuals and they say, do you expect this to be temporary or permanent? Nine out of 10 of the individuals said, this is temporary. I'm going back to my job. But there are questions about that. Are those temporary you know, unemployment scenarios going to turn into permanent? But you can see the overwhelming majority of those are temporary uh, situations. And I think, I, I think if there is you know, encouragement in that, certainly let's talk about, you mentioned that Tom, for those people, we all hope for them that it's temporary and they get back to work very soon. Yeah, absolutely. So, so David, you know, the employment is, it's such an important issue for us to discuss. Yeah. And we got a lot of questions we want to go through. And I know you got two more slides and, and these two slides, thank you so much for preparing them. You know, I'm on this, this massive kick right now with people that May is the new January, right? Like every, every broker owner on the planet knows that generally speaking, January is a slow month. And what we need to do is we need to load the cannon. We need to meet with as many people as possible. We need to start building up our inventory to get ready for the spring market. I think the spring market, in some cases, it's already here for many agents around the country. And in many cases, it's going to be June or July if you're willing to do the work. So I think these next two slides are important before we get to the Q&A. Because, you know, when I looked at the data here, I thought to myself, wait a minute. There is a lot of people with a lot of equity that yeah. they're sitting on. And it may be time for them to trade up, trade down, finally move to Florida or do something right. else. So right. take, take us through it. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about that. These are brand new numbers out from John Burns Consulting. We've talked about them before. They're a, uh, a well-respected consulting firm in our business that works with a lot of, lot of home builders, a lot of, lot of big organizations in our industry. 42.1% of homes in this country are owned free and clear. You remember the, the previous report that we were drawing off of said 37%. So we're seeing that grow. Hey, and David, then below, David I want to ask really fast. So I want to see all my friends out there watching. Do me a favor. There's a lot of you out there right now. How many of you, when you heard 42.1% of all homes in the U.S. have no mortgage, you knew that number or you were shocked by it or you can't even believe it's true. Give me, give us some feedback. I want to know from you guys, what do you think? Question. David, keep going. Yeah. So, so let's just hit the next number. 16% of the homes in this country have at least 60% equity and you can work your way around the, the, the circle there and see the rest. So a significant amount of equity uh, across this country in homes and it, and it breaks down kind of this way. 58.7% of the homes uh, in this country have at least 60% equity, a strong, strong equity stat there. And we know if you look at, you know, in the second half of this slide, that like we just said, 42.1% of the homes in this country don't even have a mortgage on them. They're owned free and clear. And then CoreLogic tells us that of the homes that do have a mortgage, the average equity of those homes is $177,000. So Tom, your point about people in the market that are thinking now is the time, that are maybe even thinking the world's changing, we're not gonna wait for that house or that location that we've wanted to go to, absolutely right. 
Now, David, before you go on in that, because that was really good explanation, and I love what the KCM team is doing. But I'm going to reiterate something that Tom said before, because when Tom said it, I, I, something else popped into my head. Along the bottom there, you could see that, you know, uh, David has his name, his company, his, his address, and his uh, email address. Ladies and gentlemen, what we've done at KCM is we've given all our information out everywhere for the last two months. And the reason we did that is we wanted to take the panic out of the market. And the team that, specifically the people on this call, you've done a phenomenal job of doing that. You shared that information and you helped your communities tremendously. But we're seeing a turn now, ladies and gentlemen. I'm definitely seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and I might even be able to see the road that's in that light. So I want you to take into consideration. We're still gonna give it to you if you're not a KCM member so you can share it. That's how much respect we have for you. So you're still gonna get them. I'm not trying to sell them to you. But think about the advantage you should become a KCM member. Building credibility in your own market by having your information tag along that. And if you're a team leader and you're recruiting agents from other companies to fill your team up, you want them to know who to go talk to to get the information they're not getting from their broker right now or their team leader right now. So if you're not a KCM member, it's $25 a month at least for the next, whatever we have left, eight months, that's 200 bucks. For 200 bucks, you can get your name and everything put splatted right on the bottom of everything you send out. I think you're crazy not to do that. If you pick up one good agent from a competitor, you'll make 10 times that amount of money on their first couple of deals. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's really like, now it's time at the beginning, we're all in, we're gonna help everybody. Now is some time that we have to continue to help, but we got to think about ourselves too. So please, if, if, if it makes any sense at all, what Tom said to you before about building credibility amongst your clients and customers, or what I'm telling you right now, Tom brought up the subject of recruiting. If there are some bartenders or there's some service out there right now that are thinking about it, this is how you can differentiate yourself. Yeah, yeah. 25 and, and, a month. Crazy. I want to follow up that real quick, Steve. We are going to give you those slides. Here's the, here's the site, mykcm.com forward slash Tom Ferry. You can go there. They don't have my, my name on them. But if you are a KCM member and you go there, you can immediately log into your account and, and output these with your brand on them. So go grab them there. And, um, you know, significant news right now, developments, things happening uh, in the market. Awesome. So fellas, thank you for that. And again, I remember for all of you watching, uh, Steve Harney, myself, Austin Allison, who created Dotloop and then sold it, and Greer Allen from Boomtown were in a CEO mastermind the day that that idea came up. And, and I know it transformed branding for a lot of agents you know, throughout the US. So we're gonna go rapid fire where it's 120. We got a bunch of questions and I gotta give them two or three unbelievably, two very easy to use, one, One's gonna require a little more effort to get more listings. So David, this question came in, I think it's really for you. Felicia Brown Lewis asked, hey, we're doing a great job keeping our clients informed, uh, but we can't get them off the sensationalism from the press. Business right. is better than ever, but you guys can read it there. People are just freaked out. So right. what do we do to get people over that freaked out state? What do we do to educate more? Yeah, I mean, we get this question a lot, Tom, and it's a great question. I'm glad that uh, Felicia uh, asked this. And I would say go about it this way. What are the things we don't know and what are the things we do know? Right now, there are questions right now that we don't know answers to about the virus, about a vaccine. And, and really, I'll go back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. The, the idea of threading the needle of bringing the economy back online, there's some unknowns out there. There is no doubt. But then let's quickly pivot to what do we know? We know we started off this year stronger than ever. We know we have record low interest rates right now. Equity, we just talked about that, is extremely strong across homeowners. Uh, and we know we have high unemployment right now, hopefully temporarily, but we, we should acknowledge that. We know we have that. And we know the Federal Reserve is doing everything they can to support the economy. So I, I think we have to be the mouthpiece for that and, and trust what experts are saying that in the second half of this year, that we should see growth in the economy and housing should be the bright spot in that to lead us out of it. And I, and I would wrap or, or, or kind of close it with this. 
my question would be, and I don't know if Felicia has kids or not, but do you ever have to tell your kids to do their homework more than once? Or do you just tell them once? We've got to say this over and over and over. Yeah, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do right now, guys? I'm going to give you the assignment that I would ask uh, Felicia Brown Lewis to do, and it's going to get you listings. So listen up. This is coaching coming direct to you. One of the easiest things you can do today, today, you ready? Is send an email to every single person in your database. Now, you got to decide. You can either send it to a targeted list of people or your entire database. Hear me out. Targeted or your entire list. And this is the offer I want you to make. In the headline of the email, it should say, your home's value during COVID. Your home's value during COVID. And I might even all cap value. Your home's value during COVID. The offer is that you will sit down with them for 15 to 20 minutes in a Zoom session just like this, where you're going to give them the market updates and the stats. These are your past clients. This is your sphere. These are your leads. These are every person you know that you put into your system, offering them a 15 to 20 minute one-on-one -on -one session where you educate them and provide the value that they want, which is to know how much their home is worth. Now, I would argue you're gonna email the offer, right? You're gonna email it. You're probably gonna post it to social, but I wanna give you a couple little hacks that'll make it easier for you. The biggest challenge you're gonna have when you do this is, and I'm gonna give you some language that I want in the email. The biggest challenge you're gonna have is the amount of response you get. So consider one of two things. First, there's a wonderful piece of software called Calendly.com. Looks like calendar, but get rid of the er and put Lee, L-Y at the end. And if you Google it and you spell it wrong, it's that one. I'm not an investor. I wish I was because I love it that much. Here's what it does. It allows you to block off chunks of time in your schedule. And then when you say, hey, would you like to meet me for 15 or 20 minutes where I answer the three toughest questions that everybody has today, including the value of your home? Yes, I'm going to give you the script. They can click that and decide which time that you pre-bake in your calendar when they can meet with you. No different from when I ping my guy who cuts my hair. I don't call him. I don't text him. I literally go on the app. I pick Saturday, 9.30, he's open, and I book my appointment. Make it easy. Now, if you don't want to get that solution, just say chunks of time. I'm going to meet with my clients, you, right? So first come, first serve, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoons. Let me know which day is better for you, and you carve out the time. Right? Either way, don't just say email me back. Give them either chunks of time to consider, day, et cetera, night, et cetera, or use something like Calendly. Now, in the email or the video that you post on social, consider the following. I wrote down in the offer, tell them that you're going to answer one to three of the biggest questions you receive all the time, that you're going to answer for them personally, one-on-one, -on -one, one to three of the biggest questions you get. The number one question you get is, how much is my home worth during COVID? How much is my home worth during COVID? AKA, how's the market? Then you say in the email, so I'm going to answer this question for you. I'm going to show you the MLS. I'm going to show you the data. I'm going to show you the withdrawals. I'm going to show you everything. So you're empowered, right? And if you're interested, here's the hook. If you're interested, how do you sell your home safely during COVID? And how's the mortgage market for the buyer that would buy your home. Now, you and I both know, you put that out in the marketplace. You email your database of 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000, some of our clients with Boomtown, my goodness, 70,000 people in their database. So be mindful. If you got a big email list, don't send it to everybody at once. You probably won't be able to handle the demand. So pay attention, you ready? Now, who's gonna request this? This is what I want you to get. Who's gonna say yes to this? People that know you, like you, and trust you, and these are people that are in the research phase of selling their home. This is the, the guy or gal or the couple or the friends that own a property together. They're like, what if we did sell it? Can we sell it? How much do you think we can get for it? And then you get to deliver the value by answering these questions. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, my friends, you do just that. You're going to single-handedly book, I don't know, 10, 30, 100, depending upon the size of your database. And, you know, for Felicia Brown right here, she's asking the question, how do you do it? Look, we can put, keep putting out content one-on-one, -on -one, but it might just be time for you to go back through your past client list or people you sold a house to 
two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, people that have all this equity and make them the offer because they might just be the most likely people that are thinking about selling. So David, let's go to the next question. Right? By the way, let me know guys in the comments. Go ahead. Uh, I want to double down on what you just said. Uh, listen to what Tom was just saying to you, because ladies and gentlemen, understand that uh, up until last year, about 35% of all home buyers were first-time home buyers. That number was supposed to come up to a, a normal, historic norms of about 40%. Let's assume that number is going to be 50% of all home buyers this year are going to be uh, first-time home buyers. That means 50% of all those people that are setting appointments and showing time have a house to sell. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work in the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Let's go over that again. Yep. 50% of the people that are setting appointments to look at a house have a house to sell. So that what Tom was saying about they're already out there trying to look at, you know, can I get my house sold? You know, you, you definitely, ladies and gentlemen, those sellers are out there just a little bit more hesitant. Get that information to them. I thought that was a great idea, Tom. I thought it was an unbelievably good idea. Thank you. Sorry, David. It's something you got to, it's something you have to scale, but you all know if they're asking the questions, do you want them going to all those other portals and trying to figure it out? No, you. So David, the next question we got was, do you see markets like Idaho, Utah, and Arizona recovering faster because of California, because of the mass exodus, right? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, Tom, you're in California, but I would argue this was happening before the coronavirus, right? And so this will continue to happen. It's happening up in the Northeast and states like New York. Um, I, I think they, you know, we'll see some of that and continue to happen just like it has been happening. And then I would also add in how you started the call and what you and I were talking about last night, also an exodus from you know, more suburban or, you know, compact areas, high density areas to less than that, driven by, you know, people being able to work remotely and things like that may cause more and more people to make that decision for sure. Yep. I, I'll tell you, going back through uh, yesterday, watching or, or listening to uh, Redfin's earnings call, the interesting stat that people in big cities, they're looking at smaller cities and that search number is up 71%. And I've heard that now from a, like a couple different ways, David, you, you and I were chatting about it yesterday. Like we're seeing that stat. I'd be paying attention to wherever you are in the country. If you go to census.gov, census.gov, it is a government site. So just think if the DMV was a website, how much fun would it be to visit? But when you go there, you can search for where are people moving to and from my town? Very important thing for all of us to be aware of. Maybe just because we want to talk about, hey, what are those opportunities or have referral agents in those marketplaces that we're working with. So very yeah. important. David, let's go to the next question. Let's, Steve, I'm going to hit you with this one. So what numbers can we pull for local market stats that match the KCM data nationally? Right? So we're all talking national, but we know we got to go local. So Steve, what do they do there? From Valerie, a great agent. Yes, six, six months ago, we were saying you have to get more of the macro information in, and now we're saying you have to get more of the micro information in. That's right. People had to understand what was taking place in the country, and you guys have done a tremendous job of sharing the information you've gotten on these calls out there. I've seen the videos. I've seen everything you're doing. You do a phenomenal job. But remember, and this is weird me as being KCM saying this, it's also really, really important that we do, um, they understand the local market also. So you can't get like, what is the economy going to do in, you know, in Botox, Kentucky? You can't get information like that. But what you can do is there's three things. And again, let's go toward the listing side of it. There's three things that you can pull off your MLS that I think are crucially important. Number one is you have to let them know that houses are selling. So you want to give them the pendings. You want to make sure that they understand the pendings, how many pendings are selling. And I would take that number from all of MLS. So when we're telling you houses are selling and the pendings are going up, you can get actual numbers 
And I wouldn't just give them a number. I would give them a series of numbers over the last couple of weeks because in almost every market, you'll see them start to increase from the bottom that we hit about a month ago. So they want to, you want to show them that, yes, just like we're showing you nationally, the business has made a turn. You want to let them see locally that that business has made a turn. So you can do that with pendings. You can do that with new listings taken. Any listing taken, I know there's not as many of those, but you want to make sure that you let them know that these houses all right, are coming on the market because you want to let them know that, yes, houses can be sold in this market and people, their competitors are putting them on the market. And the last thing I would do is if you have any more local so, uh, uh, showing time or something like that, whatever your MLS is doing, to really narrow that, that graph down to your marketplace over the last couple of weeks, I would definitely get that also. So you could use some of the graphs we do and just change the numbers so that they look the same. But I think that pending sales, new listings taken, and showings, any and I, I know every MLS might give you different types of information on that, but any information you can get, I would do that and I would do it on a weekly basis showing the progression up. Love it. So let's go to the next question and I think I'm gonna take this one. Uh, Lisa Gallagher saying, hey Tom, so we may be in DC, which you remember I was calling it BC before COVID, DC during COVID, AC after COVID. We may be in it for a while. So what's the appropriate message to send to my geo farm? I just don't feel good right now highlighting a just listed or just sold. So, so Lisa, first of all, be clear, right? You're asking the right question. Tone is everything. Messaging is everything. There is absolutely nothing wrong with sending out a just listed, just sold card today. If I did a just sold card, the variation I would have is it would be more about a case study. I want to tell the story. See, it's one thing to say, look, you know, oh, highest possible price or just sold, right? Like that's probably not appropriate right now. What is appropriate? I'm making this up, Lisa, but you know, against all odds, right? Or how about I wrote down, you know, we, we did our safety first listing launch and helped our client and tell the story of how you navigated it. Maybe it's not a postcard. Maybe it's a letter that you send that you, dear homeowner, dear, you know, members of Irvine Terrace community, I want to tell you about my recent sale on 1234 Banana Street. Would it shock you to hear even though inventory is this, this is the COVID safety, blah, blah, blah. And then I tell the story of we pivoted weeks ago to a safety first listing launch and sales strategy. Now I'm making that up for the first time. So you might want to steal it, right? <laughs> safety first listing launch sales and marketing strategy to help our clients sell during these challenging times. In the past, we would have had this, but now because of this, the only people that are showing up are real buyers and we're engaging them this way. We're seeing properties this way. And you're just describing the detail of what it is you do. I would argue, Lisa, that is going to get a lot of traction. Now, as a marketeer, I know this. If you put that in an envelope that's hand addressed and hand stamped, maybe a birthday cake stamp or a wedding cake stamp, and it doesn't have your business name on it, it's going to get opened up at a significantly higher rate. If you include in that letter, maybe a list of testimonials from Zillow or Yelp or Google or wherever you have your reviews, that's a good idea as well. And a gentle ask, if you're curious about the sale of your home or you wondered how we did it and you want more detail, you know, reach out, you know, text me, email me, call me, whatever you want to do. I would do something like that. But when I saw this question, I also said to myself, you know what I would do if I were you, and I think every one of you should do this. If you're a geo farmer, right, which is a strategy we believe in, like, you know, like hyper local expert of your community, why would you not throw a 45 minute Zoom seminar? I would call it, I just wrote it down for you guys, neighbors only market update for Irvine Terrace. A neighbors only market update. Now that's Irvine Terrace where I live. You do your own, right? Neighbors only market update. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about showing time. I'm going to do a lot of law of contrast before now, before now, showing time. I'm going to share MLS data, right? I'm going to inform them. I'm going to empower them. So, you know, how do you get the word out, Lisa? You do a direct mail piece to them right? You, if you can have somebody safely mask, gloves, everything else, hazmat suit, right? Not kidding. You know, you with me safely distribute a flyer on everybody's door. I also wrote down doing a Facebook ad and boosting it. Now I know the 15 mile radius will make it complicated, but 
saying neighbors only for this community and then having that invitation for them to show up. We know that this, this sort of Zoom seller seminar, this Zoom buyer seminar, we know it's a hit right now because everybody wants to know the value of their home and they're asking themselves these questions. So I would do that in your geographic farm. So that's that. Let's go to the next one. Um, you know what, I'm gonna skip, I'm gonna skip that one. I wanna go to the next one. Steve, why is Wells Fargo so optimistic yet they were one of the first to pull out of the jumbo market from Lisa Peck. Uh, great question, Lisa. Great question. I, I had to think about it for a few seconds too, when the, the original report came out, because they, they were probably, you know, what I believe to be the most optimistic on their uh, guessing as to where the, uh, the economy was going. And then all of a sudden they pulled out. So, you know, I, I had this question about a month ago on my own head, but then I realized something. It wasn't that there would be an optimistic in that, in that report, you know, in their projections going forward for GDP. They were being conservative. They didn't want to go too far either way. As a matter of fact, they're the only one of the companies that still think that it's going to be a negative GDP by a very little bit in the third quarter and then come back in the fourth quarter. So they were being very conservative across the board. When they made projections on the unemployment rate, they were very conservative. They didn't make outlandish projections or I shouldn't even say outlandish, they didn't make high projections, all right? So across the whole board, they're being conservative, not optimistic. They're saying, I don't want to say anything too crazy. And I think that the same thing is taking place on their mortgage side. I just think they're being conservative. They're not sure, so they don't want to make any big calls on the investment side, and they're not sure, and they don't want to make any big mortgages on the mortgage side. I really think that that's the case on that. Steve, wouldn't it also be fair to say that Wells was also one of the early to jump out of subprime, right? Like I want to say back in maybe 2003 or four in that range, while everybody else was going nuts on subprime, they pulled out of it. So I think it just to your point, it is sort of the conservative nature of that business. Yeah. And, and, and plus, you have to realize, you know, that the, the, one of the largest stockholders in that company, if not the largest stockholder in that company, is Warren Buffett. And you know, he's very conservative in what he does. So that's one of the reasons they pulled out of the subprime pretty quickly also. So I just think that, you know, I think as, a, as an entity, they're not optimistic and then pessimistic. I just think they're very conservative. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with one more from uh, Katie Day from Houston, Texas, who's just a okay. client, crushes it on video. What impact do you think the presidential election is going to have on the real estate market this fall? Oh, thank you very much for asking that question, because up until about 45 days ago, that's where we were really sending the research team. David did a great job of saying, I want to know exactly what happens to a housing market during a uh, presidential election year. So we were doing some really heavy uh, um, uh, studies, a lot of research on that. And we'll get back to that as we slow up a little bit in the other research that we're doing. But I can tell you what the initial research showed. What the initial research showed two major things. Number one is there's no loss in sales, but there is a delay in sales. That from the middle of October to about the middle of November, people just concentrate on that. They just get tied up in it. And there's not, and, and there's like a, compared to other years, there's a normal fall off in the fall every year, that October to November number. But the fall off goes from about 9.8% to about 15% fall off in an election year. But in both cases, what happens in the second half of the year, uh, the, um, it gets uh, the second half, the last half of the year, the last quarter of the year, that from October, the November 15th, all the way to December 30th, in election years, you pick all that, that business back up again. So it's not a loss of that business. What's happening is you lose business from October 15th to November 15th, then you pick it back up again from November 15th to December 30th. The only other thing that we, we were able to find, and I think we have some more research to do, but this little pandemic came out in the middle of it and it kind of shifted some of our focus. But the other thing that came out is if there is an administration that doesn't believe as much in regulation, then what happens is new construction builds more quickly. If you have an administration that believes more in regulation, then obviously new construction builds a little slower. So if you think about the communities that will uh, benefit from new construction. A lot of that's going to be in red states, not because it's a Republican president, but because they have more land. Yeah. 
right? There's there's much more land available, and many of the you know what they call the flyover states, the states between the east and west coast. There's a lot of land to develop there, so those marketplaces will do better if again there's less regulation. So it's not a Republican Democrat thing as much as it's you know what do Republicans kind of stand for and what Democrats kind of stand for. What we didn't get into in our research was this will be the you know most highly contested you know election in um, American history, presidential election in American history. And what does that really mean? And there is some interesting reporting on that, but we haven't really, you know, gone through and really vetted all that, that information out yet. Again, we, we, we got interrupted in the middle of that research. Yes. All right. So uh, I want to go back and I want to answer uh, Jack Hayes' question. And I think it's an important question for a lot of reasons. The question was, how do you deal with price reduction in today's market? Uh, if the number of showings is not doing well. So, so Jack, I appreciate the question. We actually did end up covering an entire training on this in our pivot program. Um, but I wanna give you all some questions to consider, especially as you're meeting with potential sellers. This is insight that every one of us should know and understand on a deep level, a quantitative level in our marketplace. I always ask this question first, what is selling in your marketplace and what isn't? What is selling and what isn't? Now, I don't care if I'm talking to a luxury agent in Beverly Hills or I'm talking to somebody in Omaha, Nebraska, right? Generally speaking, I hear mid to low, flying off the shelf, high end, turnkey, priced well, you know, anything four years and older is old in the high end. You with me? And if it's not something special or an opportunity, that stuff is sitting. Now, you know in your marketplace what sells and what doesn't. This is why we all talk about the, the critical importance of looking at the daily hot sheets and knowing what's happening morning, noon, and night in terms of what's selling and not selling in your market. So I always start there before I go into any kind of price reduction script. Then I wrote down, um, what is this property, how, how does this property land in that equation, right? How does this property that I have for sale that's not getting showings, that's not getting activity, there's been no offers, where does it fall? Then I wrote down this question, like, you know, what's the feedback been on this property? And the bottom line is, right? Look, I just, in my notes, I'm, I wrote all these things down. Does it need to be staged, right? Or I wrote down, you know, could you remove any of the barriers that the buyers are experiencing when they see this property virtually or face-to-face? -face? Then I wrote down this question for you. If this was your home, knowing what you know about buyer psychology and buyer needs and wants today, what would you do? See, I think the be honest question is, is if this was my home and I understand what buyers want and what they don't want and what's important today, then I'm going to have that conversation with the seller and be very direct about it, right? Hey, this is what's happening. Properties are selling. We know it's taking more time. We know that, you know, there's less looky-loose looking at your house, but the buyers that are serious are out in the marketplace. Here's the data. Transactions are being done. And at the end of the day, sometimes, sometimes it's about, do we need to take it off the market and make those repairs, clean that up, make the adjustments that we can, or do we need to amend the price to match the needs of today's buyers? Do we need to amend the price? You know, I, I like amend versus reduce and whatever. It's just the wordsmith in me. Do we need to amend the price? But here's the real kicker. You ready? The question I love more than anything else is after I've said, okay, here's what's happening. You know, here's what's going on in the market. Here's the data, the data, the data, the data, the data. And if you're just saying to them, hey, based upon the buyer psychology, the agent feedback, the online feedback and everything else, I'm gonna strongly recommend we amend the price to X and then you just shut up. I'm gonna strongly recommend we amend the price to X and you shut up and just let them, let them, and by the way, do it via Zoom, right? Don't do it over the phone, don't do it via text, get them via Zoom, this is important. It's almost like a re-listing presentation. But here's my favorite question. I hear where you're at, at what price are you no longer a seller? At what price are you no longer a seller? Look, we're in the business of serving people and giving them what they want, right? And delivering on their needs. But, you know, we can't mystically pull out a buyer who's going to pay for an overpriced property or a property that doesn't match what buyers are looking for today. So it's our job to be honest and tell the truth, which means you got to dig deep, build a lot of rapport, have all the data and facts, and then deliver. So Jack, I hope that helps. And since you're a Pivot member, make sure you go back in, search for Doug Hannon, Doug Hannon, because then he'll give you the financial breakdown of how to make that adjustment and really show people in real time if they reduce the price, how much their net is, which is also very powerful. So 
Let's keep going. By the way, guys, we're doing a lot of Q&A here. I want to see for all the people that are out there, are you finding this valuable? The combination of slides and Q&A and some mindset and some stuff around how to get more listings. Let me know in the comments. I'm super curious. And now I'm going to go to the next question. You ready? Let's go right to do, 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 David. I'm bouncing around. Go to the one from Ivan. I think it's Majea with credit requirements being stricter. You with me on that? You already got it. That leaves a big portion of buyers out. How is this going to affect the market? How is this going to affect David? This is, this is your world partner attack. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's come up. I'll say this. We've, done a little bit of research on this first American came out with a study that that number that's been put on the sidelines is, is roughly about impacting about 400,000 people. Now, while we know that what we don't know is the question of how long will they be on the sidelines for? I, I you know, I think we can say, you know, not forever, but, but that, that will come back. You know, the other piece is I would argue that low interest rates right now are driving buyers in. And, and a lot of that, uh, you know, is going to be replaced by people saying, you know what, we now can't afford or we now can uh, do this because of the, the record low interest rate environment we're in. But I would also argue right now that the, largely across the country, we, we don't uh, face a buyer issue. We face a listing issue and a seller issue. So that, that'd be where I would focus. Yep. Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I've got a couple yep. of thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I just wanted to let it know because there was a question. I'm watching is on, on my iPad as I'm doing this, seeing the questions coming in. Also, and the, uh, there was a question that came in about the, the uh, jumbo packages. Just, and there's no way David could know this simply because he was working with the, to the content team to, to, to put everything together. And I barely read the, the article, but apparently there are four companies that are now re-entering the non-QM space. All right. And um, how's it why I just put that out? And it was seconds before this live thing. So there's no way we could report on it yet. But what I what I did get um, excited about was what I was thinking is since the housing market is turning and people have less concerns about that, the people are on top of it. I think that might come back a little quicker than we originally thought. But now here's the challenge to that. What that means is as long as housing's doing well, they'll come back quicker. And who's, in response to, who's responsible for making sure the housing market comes back quicker? We are. So who's going to determine whether or not they re-enter the market with jumbos and non-QM? Everyone on this call. Because if we can continue to drive the business in the right way, then what's going to wind up taking place, more and more of those companies will come back. And just the fact that we turned the corner has already got some of them already coming back. So I saw this one too. Guys, I want you to, to give some insight here. So Eddie Hafer says, um, and hold on, I lost here, Eddie. Darn it, he was saying, what about the negative impact? Well, really, David, it's the question, two million people didn't pay their mortgage, should we be concerned, right? No. And how is this impacting people's credit, right? And especially yeah. the people with job loss, plus forbearance. So I'm going to ask you to maybe tackle both there in, in one question. Sure. So, um, you know, is it going to hurt their credit? Federal government's already said the intention of forbearance is that people don't go into delinquency. So th that's what is going to hurt it. We talked about this early on that, you know, as more and more information comes out, I think we'll see the impact of that and what exactly that is going to mean. And I, I don't know that we know everything that it's going to mean for, for someone individually, but we know the, the, the thrust of the program is to protect the consumer. So let's go back to the question. Two million people didn't pay their mortgage. The number is actually a little bit larger than that, but I, I don't want to get tied up in that. Um, but they were they did what they were told, number one, you know, with like they, they, they didn't pay their mortgage. And, you know, when I think of forbearance right now, there's a lot of chatter in the industry around servicers and what it's going to mean and all that. Let, let's go with maybe you know, common knowledge on this. I think these people are probably going to be in maybe three categories. People that took it that really needed it. Um, there's going to be people that took it that maybe didn't exactly need it right now, but they're kind of hedging to the future saying, I'm going to go ahead and take this because I don't know what the next month or two months or three months are going to hold. And there's probably a cross section of people that took it that didn't need it. 
And, and so, you know, if we, if we look at that probably as, as how that plays out, the people that, that took it and didn't need it, we, we don't have to worry about them, right? Um, it, the other two categories may have been coached even by a financial planner, planner to take it, you know, and, and do that. And we certainly aren't saying to do that. We, we believe it should be re- reserved for these people that, that need it. But what we know is Fannie, Freddie, FHFA, have come out and said, we're going to work with people. There was this idea that, you know, when forbearance is over, over you're going to owe it. Forbearance doesn't mean forgiveness, but they've said, hey, we're going to tack it off to the end. When you sell the house, when you refinance, when you do something like that, you're going to satisfy the lien. And so I wouldn't spend a lot of time being concerned about it right now, but there are certainly questions that are going to come out in the coming months around forbearance. And uh, as those do, we'll certainly bring those. And Tom, David's so much nicer guy than I am. (laughs) David's very well connected in what he's finding out on the financial end. There are actually some financial planners instructing their customers not to pay the mortgage and keeping the cash in the savings account just so that they know what's going to happen in a couple of months. So all those people that are getting, and please don't repeat that. The last thing we need is more people not paying their mortgage. It will hurt us dramatically. Yeah. But, if, if somebody's telling someone, keep your money on the sidelines, and then you can always pay it as long as you keep it and keep it in a savings account, you'll pay it when this thing's over. You know, I don't know how many of those people there are, but I think there's more than we think they are. there are. So all those people are going to be up to date immediately. Bam, done. They're just keeping it there just in case, you know, the Martians attack and the whole world falls apart and, you know, they zap us with ray guns and we all turn into the walking dead. I was waiting for you to finally reference the Martians and Ray Guns and the Walking Dead. So, so Steve, I'm going to hit you with another question. So, David, if you would find it said, what should I say to the renter that wants to wait because they think prices are going to go down, which is another question I keep seeing sort of, you know, you know, when, when are the REOs going to show up? When's this whole thing going to implode? Right. So it's kind of talking about REOs. Please go to the equity slides. No one's walking away for hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cash. No. All right. That's not happening. Okay. And the government, unlike the last time, the government is, I was on the call with one of the biggest REO agents in the country just the other day. And he's going, well, the big difference now is they don't want them. They don't do anything not to get them. So I think that what you're going to see is there's not going to be a lot of REOs because there's a lot of equity and the banks don't want to take those houses back. They made that mistake the last time. So I would wipe that out. But I would probably use the equity slide with them to let them know that this is a different time in history than it was in 2008 when everyone was using an ATM. The other thing I would talk to them about is interest rates. You know, you know they're waiting to see where the prices are going down and probably a much bigger, uh, the, the thing will have a much bigger impact on their uh, mortgage payment is interest rates. And right now, last week they were an all-time high and they ticked up a little bit this week. So they're right next to an all-time, uh, all-time low, I should say. They're right next to an all-time low. So I, I wouldn't take that chance. And as far as prices are concerned, there's one headline, one, one headline that came out saying that prices might go down. And that was a headline by Zillow on a report. And for some unknown reason, Zillow decided they were going to change all of the, and I'm not beating them up because they were trying to give us a deeper understanding of what was taking place. They changed it, all the methodology. And instead of doing year over year prices, because prices go up and down throughout the year based on what cohorts of houses are selling. So there's certain times of the years that more expensive houses sell, certain times of the year less expensive. That's why you do it year over year by month. That's the best way to look at it. They decided not to do that. They're going to do it from the beginning of the year throughout. And they said that based on the beginning of the year throughout, that prices could fall 2 to 3%. But ladies and gentlemen, if anyone brings that Zillow report up to you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to have stored as a bookmark on your computer the actual press release because there's a video attached. In the video, the chief economist at Zillow is on the video. She's the one who wrote the report. In the last lines of the video, she fast forward all the way to the end, she said, because there's so much buyer demand and very little inventory, there'll be upward pressure on prices. In the video of that report, she contradicts the headline of that report. (laughs) So, what they're doing, they didn't do anything wrong. Zillow did nothing wrong. They're trying to give us a deeper understanding with GDP and what it means before and post-COVID, but that's not the way we look at prices. So it's like not comparing apples to apples. So I would tell that person, no one is projecting the prices are going to go down. Not the case. All right. 
with most people think it's going to be pretty flat, maybe up a half a percent. The, the most dire projection is by this time next year, they might be down, down a half of a percent. All right. So, I mean, there's no major, you know, price, price depreciation that anyone's talking about. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. We have an inventory. It, it's a simple supply and demand. We have a, an increasing number of people that want to buy a house and a decreasing number of people that are looking to sell the house. That means prices go up. It's that simple. Yeah. So, Steve, I want to I want to piggyback on that and just remind everybody uh, that yesterday on Zillow and separately Redfin's earnings report, they both came out and said we're buying houses again. Yeah. <laughs> Why in the world do you think that they would say we're going to buy houses again? And it's not just them. It's HomeLite, you know, through their agent solution. It's Easy Knock. It's Knock. It's Open Door. Like they're all racing back into the marketplace. And guess what? It's because prices have stabilized, right? Yep. It's not because they, what are you going to do? Buy a house that's depreciating, then put money into it and try and sell it, right? So I think we, you know, common sense people, we got to look at the, the macro level. When they make those moves, that should give you a lot of insight. Now, I'm stealing that. That's great, Tom. That's great, 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 great. I'm stealing that. And by the way, you can go and you can Google their earnings report. This was literally yesterday, 1.30 with Redfin, 2 o'clock with Zillow, in my calendar, spending an hour listening to them drone through all their stuff, but paying attention to the data points that matter most to us. Now, let's finish with this one last question, which is, what's one thing you guys wish all realtors were do, uh, would do? So, David, you go first, Steve, you go second, and then I'll wrap it up and we'll send everybody off on their way on Friday. What is the most important thing you want agents to do during COVID? Um, you know, it's a great question and a great one to, to kind of end on. And, and I would say this, um, a couple of things, use the data to inform what you're bringing to the market and then realize that in the world we live in today, there are a lot of people that are dug into their opinions and, and, and focus on continuing to bring the information from experts and engaging people in that, certainly not in you know, combative ways online. And I know that happens, but, but saying, hey, you may, not, you may have a different opinion, but let us bring you facts. Can I still continue to bring you facts to be able to have that conversation? Look for those pieces like Steve just mentioned in some of the facts that you mentioned, Tom, about hey, Zillow's going out and buying right now before we get you know, locked on to, to a different scenario. So I'd say use facts to, to, to be out there in the market with what is going on. Love it. Steve? I think that probably the, the number one thing I think all agents should be doing right now is rethinking some of the advice that they took at the beginning. And I don't think it was bad advice at the beginning. When this thing first took place and we first heard that, oh my God, you know, um, people are dying and you know, what's going to happen? The economy, they're shutting down the economy with like a light switch. A lot of agents start pulling back their investments, you know, pulling back on how they invest in their business, what they're doing in order to grow. And though I didn't necessarily agree with that, I could understand it. And there was no way I could talk against it because I didn't feel strongly enough that I was right on the issue. But I really felt strongly that the economy was going to come back and that housing was going to drive it back. And 60 days later, thank God, knock on wood, it looks like that's exactly what happened. So all those people that like kind of tightened the purse strings and, and, and started to say, all right, well, let me go into Armageddon mode here just in case this is Armageddon. I'm not saying get involved in stuff that's stupid. You should stop doing stupid stuff in a good market. But I think that what happened, and I'm not talking about KCM. KCM is $25 a month. You're saving that on a babysitter going out on a Saturday night right now. You could afford KCM, so I'm not talking about KCM. But what I'm saying is I think there were some other really valuable tools you were using that you kind of got, well, let me just save my cash right now just in case. I don't think we're in a just in case situation anymore. I think we're on the turn. And this is what I know they teach race car drivers. When you're coming down the straightaway and you see the wall, and that's what happened to us in the beginning of March, most people, most people will hit the brake. And what I would suggest very strongly now, that we do what a race car driver does. They downshift, they slope a little bit going through the first half until they can see the next straightaway. They don't wait to the next straightaway. Once they can see the next straightaway halfway through the turn, they gas it, and they go that that extra uh, uh, 
speed brings him through the second half of the turn and lets them hit the next straightaway at maximum speed. So right now, if I could use one analogy, I really believe that we're at the halfway point of the turn. I see the light at the other tunnel. I see the, the straightaway. So what I would suggest, I think many agents are still hitting the brake on things. I would suggest you reach down, grab the brake, rip it out of the floorboard and throw it out the window. And guess it right now. Because I think that if you do that, you're going to have such a lead on your competition that not only are they not going to be able to catch you, they ain't going to be able to see you. Now, I've talked a little bit about that over the last two weeks. I'm telling you now, looking at the numbers and talking to so many companies and getting their individual numbers, that backs up what people are saying. I can't share that data, but I know that data. All right? This is the time to hit the gas. Anything you will pull your purse strings back on, maybe it's time to open it back up again. I love it. So I would just end with this. First and foremost, I wish you and your loved ones a happy Mother's Day uh, coming up on Sunday. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, if you're in the business, uh, it's time to put your phone away and hang out with your spouse. Or if your mom is someplace around the world, maybe a long Zoom session. So that'd be the first advice, right? Just, you know, pay attention to uh, who really matters. Regarding your business, I'm going to tell you it's very simple. I'd go back to everyone in my family and I would say, Look, here's what happened over the last eight, nine weeks. Here is what I'm committed to over the next 90 to 120 days. I need to roll up my sleeves and go to work. Let me tell you what that means. I'm going to try and do anywhere between 80 and 100 appointments over the next 90 days. 80 to 100 appointments. Now, they may be Zoom. They may end up being face-to-face. -face, but I'm going to get the word out to the world that I will meet with them one-on-one -on -one and share the truth about what's happening with home prices in our community. I'm going to make it my mission to take more listings in the next 90 days than I've ever taken in my life. And I know as I say this, some of you are like, ah, listen, there's this wonderful line that I have written over there and at my home office. And here's what it says. If you must doubt something, doubt your limits. Doubt your limits. This is your time. No one cares if you're a rookie agent or you're a rock star agent. No one cares if you're great with tech or bad with tech. You know what they care about? Do you care about them? And do you have the answers to help them move forward? Safety, right? And getting the job done. And if the answer is yes, then you need to be screaming from the mountaintop every single day. So guess what? Prioritize your day around, ready? Uh, prospecting, getting appointments, doing lead follow-up, and going on appointments. All non-essential BS needs to be pushed to the side because in the next 90 to 120 days, you can absolutely make 2020 extraordinary, not just for you and your loved ones, right? But for all those buyers that are desperate and all those sellers that were totally misinformed. So look at Look at non-owner occupieds. Tom Ferry show on Tuesday. We talk about that. I go in depth on my show on Tuesday, coming to your email box on what we should be doing with those 15 to 20 minute sessions. And I'm just gonna keep delivering. The point is this, there's no wrong way to do it. Done is better than perfect. Get off your butt and go help people. You can single-handedly solve this. If you're gonna doubt something, doubt your limits. Happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next Friday. Thank you so much for watching. All right, guys, we're out. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.